0: Hello all and welcome to episode number 18. Yes, the, uh, the nearing, uh, number 20th episode of the Creative Outlet Podcast and I am your host. Today, one a uh, Brandon Puddle who's been hosting since the very first episode here of this show from January of 2020. And would you believe that we're already on today being December 30th, 2021? Meaning that in a manner of a few weeks, this show will have been going on for two years. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty crazy to me. <laughs> I, I knew that eventually I would uh, get to this spot in my recording space, but I didn't think I would quite get to it uh, today. Now, I suppose before I get any further, even out of this first minute here, I should address the elephant in the room for at least a A portion of this audience, which is if you're watching the video podcast, you might be like, "Well, hold on, I'm not really watching anything because this just looks like the show logo and its fine Eris Light Itc font." Um, And you'd be right; that is the case, and uh, for good reason. So, uh, I am back in the good old home studio, and in fact, uh, I do have a couple of uh, certain couple of things that you might see as I open up this fine piece of footage that I'm showing you here with at least, at least a little cameo of me in the mirror. My, uh, home studio looks a little bit different, wouldn't you say? <laughs> uh, this room that was a, formerly just called my room is not entirely my room anymore. It's more so of a, a a guest room, and so I felt like, well, I mean, I also, I mean, A, I don't have really have a space to put the, uh, the desk tripod on at the moment. But I also felt like it would be a little bit of an inappropriate uh, space as far as, I mean, this is still going to be my space as far as the, the duration of my stay here at home. But, you know, it's it's not very, like, uh doesn't have a lot of gamey stuff to show up for this podcast where... Not, I mean, a little bit on this episode, but more so on the next episode. I'll be talking a bit about some video game and other media-related topics if you can't even really see anything around that's related to that. So that's that's the long and short of why you uh, video folks don't have a video feed right now. Uh, but rest assured that when I come back... At the good old dormitory, should I be able to record anything, uh, there will be some video to go with this fine audio, which I will record. But as far as today's episode is concerned, I, I wanted to just... I, I didn't really plan things the... The normal and appropriate way in which I do these things—it's—it's it's still an appropriate way of doing these things. Uh, let's be—let's be fair here. You know, I—I I, I normally plan. You no, know, let's have a, an intro with maybe some some little quick topics to discuss, and then I have four topics plus a conclusion to talk about. But seeing as it is December thirtieth, and I wanna. I want to keep these f- things fresh in my mind since I just a week ago ended the fall semester of 2021. I wanted to spend today doing or er, talking about some lessons and reflections from this past fall because the next episode, number 19, uh, we're going to be starting a little little tradition, I suppose, from uh, uh, last year, uh, continuing, I suppose you could say, which is I want to wrap up Year two, uh, since this would have been our second year, and and we're we're going to be wrapping it up as soon as uh, I reach about the second, what would be the equivalent of the second year of recording in the end. But that's going to be a little bit more holistic. But this episode, I just I want to really hone in on some of the lessons and reflections that I got from this fall twenty twenty one semester of college because, you know, honestly, things, I, I, I feel like I learned or at least got a, a lot of reflections from what I did this fall because I, I this, I wouldn't, uh, I, I, in some ways I would say it was one of the most productive falls that I had. Or just at least just one of the most productive semesters that I've ever had. But I also just like did a lot of stuff and got a lot of uh, things that I I feel like it would be be valuable to just talk about here. And I don't I don't know exactly how long it would take me to talk about this, but I would imagine if I leave it into the next episode that we could be looking at potentially the longest beast of an episode I've ever recorded, and I'm sure I will record an episode that is longer than the, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog special, uh, Creative Outlet Gaming birthday extravaganza episode, (laughs) but I don't, I don't intend on doing that here today, but, you know, next year, or not next year, I guess, I I guess it will be next year, but next time we're gonna do some of the more full-blown reflections. I'm gonna talk about Game of the Year once more, I'm gonna talk about, just do the the 2021 wrap-up. I haven't thought of a fun sort of title for it, like last year, how it was Reflections on my first global pandemic. Uh, but I'm sure I'll think of something for that. And then I, I do need a couple of other topics to, 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 to go in that episode as well. But those are going to be the two definite mainstays. Because this year I don't have a Smash Roundup, since I actually did some uh, Creative Outlet bonuses that covered that exact content. But I think with all of that out of the way, I want to start talking uh, about the, the content of this episode, number 18, proper. So let's just start by talking about, in general, how did my classes go? So this semester I took the greatest quantity of classes I've ever taken, and I think it is also technically the greatest quantity of credits that I've ever taken. I believe I took seventeen credits. That sounds right. It was. It it, it has to be. It had to be either sixteen and sixteen both semesters, or seventeen and fifteen uh, for the second one, in order for my credit numbers just to work out properly, so that I can graduate in May, which is very exciting, needless to say. And so. To accomplish that, I had to take six classes this semester. Now, one of them was a one-credit seminar, but, you know, it, it, it's still a class. I still had to, to, to take some time out of my day, do some, some work for those. But the overall theme of this semester, outside of one class, was basically just doing all of the things that I would need to take care of to uh, finish up my degree requirements outside of just... Hey, could you make sure you take a number of credits that, uh, or yeah, credits that are considered intermediate or uh, or advanced level here? That's what the spring is going to be like, and frankly, I'm very excited for that because I think that is going to have a lot of very enjoyable classes because it allows me to broaden my horizons outside of just all of the political sciences here. But that exact topic, political science, was what I spent most of this semester. Working on outside of one class, which I will talk about. Now, I don't typically rank my classes here, but I feel like I shouldn't say that I do personally rank my classes, but I don't, I don't typically publicly advertise those sorts of things. But I feel like this semester was a bit of an exception because I feel like when I got from the essentially the top two thirds, like the bottom third, it really bottomed out from there. <laughs> so as far as how I would talk about my classes, my favorite class that I took this semester was Political Science 363, which is considered, I believe, an advanced level class. It's politics and literature. So what we did for that was we essentially read a bunch of books, which that's pretty fun to get to, you know, read some some fiction in a class rather than just uh, talk about the the ways that people thought as far as just philosophy. Uh, because even though I would think philosophy would be considered nonfiction, it's kind of I tend to find that sort of text to be a very dry reading. But, you know, fiction has a certain, a certain je ne sais quoi about it that just makes it more fun to read. Uh, I'll go a little bit more in depth on this because I do have about... What do I have here? One, two, three, four, five, six... I have seven bullet points plus a couple of sub-bullet points as far as uh, things I want to talk about here. And one of them is going into a little bit more depth on uh, one of the Reflections that I got from that class, so I'll I'll talk a little bit more about it there. What I would classify as my second-place class is actually my one non-poly-sci class, and that was Communication Arts 355, Uh, so that's just an Introduction to Media Production class. And I tell ya, that class, it was, it was, I knew it was going to be a toss-up between 363 and then this 355 class as far as which one would be my favorite. I mean, by default, it's my, uh, <laughs> my favorite Com arts class that I've taken this semester. Just, honestly, probably my favorite one that I've taken in general, although I really enjoyed 449, uh, which was the class that I took last summer on podcasting here, but you know, I, I, there were just enough things in the class that just bugged me enough to have to bump it into second place. In fairness, I should also say that the 363 I took with, uh, the, the lecture was someone who lectured for the other summer class I took, which was on conservative political thought, I, I'm still not a conservative here, but I like I said, when because I believe I talked about that as well with the podcasting class, I I wanted to get an idea of I want I want to really understand the political thought of these people that I simply don't agree with and see like, you know, what, what, what sorts of people out there have good reasons to think this way? Uh, but I digress. Uh, he's not necessarily a conservative either. He, he tries to do a really good job of playing, pretty, being pretty neutral. So, you know, just to, just to put it in perspective here, he, of course, he taught us from a lot of conservative thinkers in the summer, which could have said some not really great things at different points, like uh, William F. Buckley and how he at one point was a pretty anti-segregation or no. What am I saying? He is a very pro segregationist sort of guy, but then he turned into being anti-segregation, as he saw how pretty terrible segregation was, but that's beside the point. But then, this semester in 363, we got to watch a whole video from Cornell West, who is, you know, kind of the exact opposite sort of person to who William F. Buckley ever is, or was, I would say. So, uh, you know, pr- pretty unbiased, I would imagine but I'm getting a little off track here because I should talk a little bit more about 355. It was a pretty basic media production sort of class. We made three different films, uh, which I will talk about a little bit more because I also want to go into a little little bit more depth on this class. And in fact, that will be the next brief topic here after I just talk about how my classes in general went. Uh, Let's see, I took PolySci 470... Uh, which was just all about the First Amendment. And that class was not what I expected at all in the first place, but it still ended up ranking as what I would call my third place class. Because rather than discuss much pol- political science or just politics, we, for almost the entire semester, read Supreme Court decisions, which I'm sure to many would sound incredibly boring, and I will readily admit that, it was not exciting enough for me to want to write a gajillion pages of notes on it, but I still made a point of reading the readings themselves. And granted, part of that was also because there it, it will be a surprise on which day of the week we would have a quiz on those readings. So I also, also had that nice outside incentive, just as the, the cherry on top, uh, to help me with that internal, uh, again, I think of the word here, that internal uh, motivation. Or maybe, maybe internal motivation is not the right word, but uh, intrinsic, maybe that's it, intrinsic uh, motivating factor, which is uh, just the aspect of simply doing the task itself, uh, which reminds me, actually, that's another reflection that I want to add to this list here that I simply forgot to write down, uh, which is the value of intrinsic motivation... So we, we read just a whole ton of different decisions. We read the first portion of the class is actually learning about different judicial philosophies and the ways that various Supreme Court judges look at cases. So we looked at like originalism, this idea of moral reading, traditionalism. The, those are just three of the, the branches of judicial thought, it seems like. And then we talked about the freedom of speech and how it was decided in various cases, moving on to the freedom of religion, and we tackled both clauses separately. We did have a whole one class period of the freedom of the press, and I will, you know, I'll admit that is more what I care about. I understand, of course, the freedom of the religion is probably the more important aspect to the First Amendment than the freedom of the press is, since it's essentially just one tiny clause in the freedom of expression. Uh, so I can understand why we would spend so little time on that, but I, I just happen to have a little more interest in that. But that, that's all beside the point here. It, it was just, it was a good class. And again, as far as the actual topics themselves that we covered in the class, that's the third one here that I have that I want to go a little bit more in depth on. What a shocker here. The three classes that I want to go in depth on are the ones that I enjoy the most. As far as what I would put in fourth place, I took a class on Latin American political thought. Uh, which is one of those, so every semester there are a few, not like seminars, but like special topic sort of classes uh, that go on in each department. And one that a professor was trying out this semester was Latin American political thought, which interested me because, you know, that that last phrase there, that's political theory, is the area of the discipline that I find myself attracted to the most. And something that I've been wanting to get a little bit more in touch with again uh, is my Spanish. So, you know, I, I did not expect that we would read texts explicitly written in Spanish in this class. But I just thought, well, it would be nice to just, even if it's to get back in touch with some of the Spanish culture, even if it's just from uh, or, or the Hispanic, I should say, the Latin American hispanic speaking and hispanic speaking spanish speaking and portuguese speaking culture cultures throughout the world that would be nice uh so we read from a whole variety of thinkers and if you paid attention in that one little clip that's in this video here i do have a couple of books that i used for that final i had to write a final paper for this class so i just used those uh about Jose Carlos Mariategui, who is a very interesting sort of thinker. He's a, apparently a Peruvian socialist, almost a, a communist sort of guy. Uh, but they, they, you know we didn't just read lefty sort of uh, Latin American thinkers we read. Bartolome de las Casas, who's famous for... oh my goodness, why can't I think of it? Uh, In Defense of the... oh my goodness, In Defense of the Indians, I think is the the exact name of the text? Uh, it's not exactly jumping out to me at the moment, but, you know, it's not like I don't have a computer in front of me where I can just look it up. In Defense of the in Yeah, but it is In Defense of the Indians by Bartolomé de las Casas. He's from... I wouldn't quite call him classical, but, you know, he is... We are talking about, like, the 1500s, 1600s here, uh, where he's basically saying, hey, you know, Spain, you guys went into all of these soon-to-be South American and Central American lands. It's not exactly just for you to have just taken the land from... The indigenous people who lived there. We should give them their land back. You know what? A, what a progressive thing for someone in fifteen hundred in the fifteen hundreds to say, right? <laughs> uh, so you know, we, we read a whole a whole gamut of uh, pieces from that. Probably my favorite text of the semester was uh, a more modern one, Ernesto Laclaus on populist reason. Of only because it really helped me uh, get a better concept. At least in in academic language, how exactly uh, populism works and and how it's used and and all that sort of stuff here. I, I just I happen to think that was very valuable to me, especially you know when I when I see people or uh, listen to some commentators who happen to describe themselves that way. It's just nice to have a little bit more formalized text to refer to when people are like. That stuff is silly and that stuff is like, you know, it doesn't make any sense and it's incoherent and they're just ridiculous. I can say, no, there is, it's kind of like a a sub area of thought under just all umbrellas of political thought, whether it's being leftist, right wing, conservative, liberal, all whatever else there is there. Ah, uh, whatever uh, sorts of strains of thought there are. this this is just really a way of constructing a world is is how we described it. and i I found it really, really fascinating. i I could talk about it for a little while here if I really wanted to, but I don't want to spend too much time on just one book. But you know that 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 was kind of what we read is if if someone came from Spain or Latin America in some way, whether it was from Brazil or from Peru or, Chile or Argentina. We didn't have a ton of Central America in the class, but, you know, just, just those sorts of parts of the world. We read generally what they thought about things, whether it was things that we thought would be really neat, or some things that were pretty questionable, like uh, the there was José Vasconcelos's uh, the Cosmic Race, which was a pretty interesting sort of text. I wasn't entirely sure how to take it. I think people probably interpret that text a lot of times depending on uh, their own intuitions regarding race with it as far as what Vasconcelos means with his goals there. But I mean it is still a pretty seminal piece of Latin American political thought. so no matter how one would take it it, it just kind of made sense for us to read it but but that was that was the extent of the class we did. We did those readings. Uh, we'd had to write a few. Uh, there were 23 readings throughout the course, of the, the course of the semester, and so we had to write 15 just reading posts about it, uh, just describing, like, well, well, what did you read? What did you think was the main argument? Uh, do you find this argument convincing? All that sort of stuff. And then we had a couple of exams and that final paper, and that was the extent of the class. Again, you know, I, I enjoyed the class, but again, there's there's just always those few things, I didn't. I didn't find it particularly amazingly uh, impressive, but I, I enjoyed my time with it, and that's that's all that really matters. Is I still had a pleasant time with the class. Uh, now from here on out, I feel like it kind of bottoms out, and it's unfortunate that that's the case, particularly with the next class. Which was 360, the history of American political thought. So it's kind of similar to that last class, only we read all about United States of America thinkers. Uh, mostly old school ones, of course, you know, your, your founding fathers, your, your Abraham Lincolns, your, a lot of old timey sort of people talking about the things that they believe in. Of course, we read a lot of the Federalist Papers, all that sort of stuff, you know? Basic, boring... Well, I would say boring, I suppose. It's it's kind of in the eye of the beholder, but just texts like that. And so the problem that I had with the class, honestly, it mostly came down to the final assignment, but I'm gonna put a little pin in that. Uh, of course, a lot of the readings were pretty lengthy. So were the readings for... Latin America and the uh, First Amendment they were they were pretty lengthy but I just the the problem and I should I knew this going in, which ultimately is why I really didn't end up reading a whole lot of the readings and yet I still got an A in the class is that the professor I had her before in the spring of 2020 so you know the semester where everything imploded uh, where I got to record a whole like two or three episodes on campus. Uh, before, uh, right after I recorded my first episode here and then uh, had to essentially hovel up at home, like everyone else. And my experience in her class that I took in that spring was just, she would more or less describe to us what the authors would say in their texts, only in a far more understandable way. Now, in all fairness, in that class, you know, we were reading, like, Plato, which is thousands of years old and we read other sorts of texts from people that are hundreds of years old, like Thomas Hobbes and Jean-Jacques Rousseau, so you know, you got that translating French into English, and then it's already like a couple of hundred years old, and like that sort of class, plus it's 160, not 360, so it makes a little bit more sense just to kind of summarize the readings uh, than it does to go in just, you know, some more depth about the content itself within the readings. but. Then that, knowing that, I already thought, okay, I'm gonna take the first few days here and just see what does she do with the lectures here? Are they just, here is what so-and-so said in this reading, basically, or, you know, are we asked to go through and really and truly think about the content within the readings? Because that's going, determine, going to determine whether or not actually reading the readings is a waste of my time or not. And lo and behold, it was the same sort of thing as 160. So, uh, there was not a ton of reading done for that class. And similarly to 160, we basically had two exams, a midterm exam and a final exam, literally the same format from when I took that class too. So that was nice in that I just kind of had a preview of what, that just, here's what the exam is going to be like, only now it's on the content that we studied. And I wouldn't exactly call either exam particularly difficult. In fact, I'm fairly sure I got 94s on both. Somehow I got the exact same score on both uh, exams, but it was just fill out 10 multiple choice questions. Out of, like, out of an, uh, a possible 15 options there, don't fill out the ones you don't think you're going to get right. As long as you have fill out 10 and you get them all right, you'll get all the points for that section. Interpret a reading passage, uh, one of your choice, you have between two, and then answer an essay question, and, you know, that's just pretty pretty bog-standard, normal sort of stuff. Uh, where the, uh, well, I, oh, hold on. There was one short, single-page paper, uh, which that was just fine, and if anything, I actually found the one that I did for this class, 360 be easier, the one that I, to be easier than the one that I wrote for her in 160, because in 160, the paper was on Plato's Republic which, again, is a much harder reading because it's thousands of years old and translated from ancient Greek. Or is it ancient Roman? I'll double-check here while I keep talking. Uh, but, the you know, it, it was just a lot easier. Okay, Plato was Greek. Just like I said, ancient Greek, thousands of years old, now it's in English, that, you know, it's, it's, it's gone through the ringer between its original meaning and its current meaning. But, you know, in this case, I had to write about Thomas Paine's Common Sense, which, you know, is much newer, actually first written in English, so it's a lot easier to understand. And fortunately, we had talked about it in our lecture before we even had to write the paper, so there, there just, there didn't have to be a ton, a ton of thought in it, but I still did the optional rewrite on the paper, uh, because she allows, allowed us for just the single page paper to essentially uh, submit a couple of revisions to whatever comments we received on the original draft. Which, you know, I, I appreciate. I don't I don't think if I had done that, and if I hadn't been in class on one day where just a bunch of people, for whatever reason, hadn't happened to not choose to show up, where she decided, well, well because there's so few of you here, uh, I'm just going to give you all an extra credit point for doing this activity, basically for showing up. I don't think I would have gotten an A in the class, but I would have... I would have still had a, a you know a perfectly fine grade but I just I wouldn't have had that crossing the line over into it being an actual a in the course but the annoyances for me came with the lectures and the final paper which was the one assignment that did not just transfer over from 360 or 160 into 360 here So my annoyance my first one here is with the... Lectures. So, I already talked about how I was not too much of a fan of how they essentially just rehash the readings, and that's because then, A, we don't really have any incentive to read the readings, and B, it doesn't feel like there's any thinking that necessarily has to happen in class. And that could be resolved if there was a discussion section, but there was not for this class, which I found kind of surprising because there was a discussion section for 360, but, I mean, we still had, like, small discussion groups that we discussed a question with at the start of class, but it was always just some sort of, like, general question about not even really the content of the reading, but, like, the subject of the reading. So, like, if we talked about, say, civil disobedience, we would talk about, like, what is civil disobedience, and when do you think it is acceptable? Rather than talking about, you know, what did this author think about civil disobedience, and, like, how would you change what they're saying? Or something along those lines, perhaps. You know, something that would require us to engage with what one of the authors said in his readings. That would have required us to make sure we come to a class having read. So, you know, that that's, those are my first two little irritations, but my big, big irritation, and granted, she did have the foresight to upload these slides after class. I know some professors just won't do that for whatever reason, but she always went too darn fast with her talking. So what that meant was... I would get through, let's say we had a 17-slide lecture, the first two or three slides were always just freebie slides because it was just like, oh, here's the name of the class on the first one, and here's like some housekeeping and the discussion question, and then maybe a fourth one of just here are class learning objectives. So let's say if it was a 17-slide show, now we're down to 13 slides. I could maybe get through then to the equivalent of the fourth slide, which would, of course, in practice be the eighth slide in a 17 slide show before I would either get through, like, okay, we just went through a whole slide where I didn't get anything written down because you're just going through this so darn fast, or it would just be like such a major, giant piece of text that I'm not, I would not be comfortable continuing on continuing to take notes on the following slide, because now I, then I would have to figure out how to finish that last portion in my notes first, because let's keep it real here. When you're a student and you have a slideshow that you're taking lecture or notes off of, you're probably going to be mostly writing down the pieces written on the screen there because you can remind yourself of, oh, this is what he or she was talking about at that moment and instead of, again, really closely listening in, which that's something that I want to give credit to for seventy about, actually, is he only, he just, he wrote on a chalkboard. Now, I mean, I mean an actual chalkboard, not a whiteboard. We only had a chalkboard in that uh, classroom that we were in, so, you know, we, It was necessary to really, truly listen in to what he was saying, otherwise you wouldn't really be able to get great notes. Now again, it didn't matter so much because um, the quizzes were on the readings, and we didn't have an exam, we only had uh, a couple of papers to write for that class which were fun, but I'll I'll get, again, I'll get into those a little bit later when I talk about 470 in more depth. What that essentially meant is now I had to wait until the next, the the set of slides from that class. If it was on a Tuesday, I would need to hope and pray that the Tuesday slideshow would get uploaded well before a Thursday's class period so I could finally finish taking down all those notes. And then in the margins, I would just write down, like, things that I found were important that she said, so, in some ways, it was like a blessing and a curse in that, you know, then I, I had a little bit more reason to take closer attention to or pay closer to attention to what she was saying and actually listen into it so that I could remind myself oh, like this, when she writes, when she has this thing on the screen, really what she's referring to is this other concept that isn't clearly conveyed in the written portion on the slideshow, or, oh, this is an interesting thing that she said that I know connects to this idea here, or, oh, this clarifies what they're talking about or what, what is being said uh, at this moment. So that was a blessing. The curse was, instead of getting all of my notes in my hour and 15 minute class period, now I have to spend however long it's going to take me to finish writing them down outside of class, after the fact. But the the other thing that really bugged me was this final paper. So, between all of my classes in the last two weeks, well, I guess this is going to be the last three weeks, but I, I didn't have to do any writing this week because then I, I finished all of my classes a week ago. Uh, but between the last couple of weeks, I have written well, a good 35 to 40 pages of writing, and that is a lot, including 10 for PoliSci 360. Now... That in itself is already pretty irritating. I tend to find that a good cap for papers is like eight pages. Uh, Once you get above that, I I tend to find that it gets easy to start rambling and writing about things that really aren't that necessary. I've always been a big fan of if you can say what you need to say in shorter words, because I used to be. A very big uh, writing rambler, I'll say, and obviously I'm still a bit of a speaking rambler, considering how I'm talking here right now a bit, I suppose. I, I, I just, if I can be concise, I'll be concise. And if I don't need to write more, I don't want to write more. So, and, you know, all a bunch of these other classes had long papers. Latin American political thought, an 8-10 to 10 page paper, ended up being 9 in the end that I wrote. 70 I had to write a 10 page paper uh, but it was a special paper and in my opinion it was kind of a fun paper 363 the literature class two five page papers between uh, two different assignments uh, at that point uh, it was just one five page paper because I had already written the first one a long time ago so we had to write an abstract for this assignment first just to get an idea of like how we would tackle the topic and I think, the problem with the assignment was that it was explained pretty poorly because it was just, it wasn't explained in the clearest way possible. So let me get some background here. For the short paper, the one page paper, we were given explicit instructions that you're going to get a question and you need to answer all parts of the question. Uh, I don't remember the exact prompt about common sense, but it's just like here are three questions. Answer them all in a page, basically, and use evidence from the text. So when you get this new prompt for this long paper, that is the thought process that I went went in with. So the questions were like, what is the central tension in American political thought? What is its historical origin? And I can never for the life of me remember the third question, even though I just answered this paper. But it's more or less like, you know, what can we do with that today? How does, how does it still apply uh, in some way, shape, or form? So when I went into this, of course, my thought process was then, okay, well, I have to answer these questions. Clearly, there's certain texts they're looking for me to refer to when it comes to answering this question. So I'll just talk about that, and that actually gets to one of the, what I actually find the most interesting uh, piece that I learned from that class, which is this concept of the multiple traditions thesis. So that is just a text uh That basically the author says, look, you know, people have described the United States as like a liberal democracy or as just conservative or one X, Y, or Z thing, right? But he believes, this author, that all of them are wrong because really the U.S. is a mixture of a whole bunch of traditions that all happen at the same time. But the three that are the most prevalent are liberalism, republicanism, and what he called ascriptive... I don't remember if he called it ascriptive Americanism or just ascriptive inequality, um, but it's just like, you know, what is the thing that, one, one of the things that the U.S. was most synonymous with, or even still for, um, for one extent or another is synonymous with, which is that despite all of the ideals we uphold, uh, we're pretty darn unequal, <laughs> you know. You had a constitution that was supposed to champion liberty and justice for all, but also, you know, slavery, right? <laughs> also, women couldn't vote. So the idea is just that you know you have your liberal faith, where it's just like we don't want really any restrictions on whatever we do. You have your Republican faith, which is which just says, okay, we're okay with some restriction on what we can do, but it just—it can't be arbitrary. There have to be good reasons for why someone can't do ABC. I've used XYZ too too many times. It's going to be ABC from now on, today. So if the, 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 the third one is basically just, but we still want black people to be unequal, or we still want women to be unequal, because, you know, people were prejudiced and are still today, in many respects, prejudiced. So the the there would always be, the what I basically said the central tension was, okay, people have their primary ideology, one of these two, but they still want things to be unequal. And it comes from, there's this other text that we talked about that I can't remember the exact name of, but it was by like John Winthrop, who was one of the earliest governors of the Massachusetts colony. And he basically just talked about, look, we want to behave one way, which is essentially the liberal tradition. We want to do whatever we want, but we want to live in a society where we're just treated nicely. So a more Republican way where it's like people are restricted from doing certain things because I only want good things happening to me. And I said, that's the central tension there. We want to live in a society like Americans or the central tension was is this thesis here. The it comes from it originates from this piece here that just says we want to live one way but we want to be in a world that lives another way that's just a matter of our psychology that's where it comes from uh we can still use this today and seeing that you know you look at like there are a lot of folks who are just like when you look at say more left-leaning commentators for example they'll be like i don't understand how the republicans can think blah 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 blah, blah, because these things are just totally incongruent they're not They don't believe in A or B or C, in principle, and apply it across the board. Which, I mean, again, I I would agree with, because I tend to live in the world more of principle than of, what's a good word for it, than of, uh, oh my goodness, like, not practicality, but just like, I mean, I live in the world of practice, I, I have to, to one extent or another. But just like, I'm not entirely utilitarian. I think that that's the word. I mean, I'm not entirely utilitarian as far as I'll just violate whatever I say I believe in if there is utility in doing so. But I digress that's that's the way it still applies is you know those two things can be true at the same time it's okay i'm sorry that it bugs people but it just it has to be okay because we've like that's just how americans have always been because of the central tension and i was told that wasn't good enough because it wasn't original now granted in the assignment it says try to make your thing your idea more original from the 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 reader the writings here the the readings that you're pulling from but feel like with the question we were given, we weren't really set up to necessarily go for something original. The questions were set up in such a way that it's just like you should answer them, and we were taught just to answer them. So I I basically just had to sit there with the TA for like 15 minutes just being like, what do you mean when you want this to be more original here? And in that period of just sitting and talking and being confused, what I came out of it realizing was basically just apply what you're saying to some sort of subject matter. So he was like, you know, someone's talking about this sort of thing, but they're focusing on slavery. And I was like, oh. So let's say I just apply this to women's rights, like the women's right to vote. That's what I decided on because, well, not to be too literal here, but that is also a little bit more original considering that uh, probably the greatest uh, example of ascriptive inequality in the US would definitely be slavery. And there, I mean, that was what the vast majority of the texts we read were on uh, was slavery. But I was just like, I want to do something different. You know, I've written about, slavery and all sorts of different papers, I, I want to give women's issues their due here. If only, if only because, like I said, I wrote a lot about race last year. I just I want to give something else its due. I want to spread the, the, the wealth of concern, so to speak. And I mean, hey, in the end, I ended up getting a perfectly fine grade on the paper, but I'm just saying here, professors, if y'all want things to go well for your assignments, just say what you mean to say. <laughs> Because what I realized in the end was again, those questions were just bad. All she had to say here was identify what you think is the central tension in American political thought, apply that tension to some sort of social or economic concept that we talked about this semester, and talk about how you continue to see that issue purveying. That's all she had to say. But instead, We got these really weird questions that just didn't necessarily explain what needed to be explained. On top of it just being a really long paper and not really having a proper, even really truly intrinsic incentive to want to read the readings. So the, the whole class itself was a mess. And then we get to my least favorite class, and this I was really, really disappointed by. It was my career seminar. So I took careers in political science. And, you know, what I expected essentially was to get like a little, a little, like a, a tiny group. Like maybe there'd just be a bunch of small groups that so the professor would meet with every day. Let's say we've got five days a week. Okay, you have a class of 40 kids. Okay, do a seminar every day with eight kids and work with them on applying to internships and learning about that sort of stuff. That's what I expected here, right? Instead, what I got were... For the first like six weeks of class, two hour long lectures about the same sorts of things that the career services on campus already talk about. So it was like make a one page resume. Write a cover letter. We did I mean we did some like exercises which are different, which were nice to like learn about. It was nice to kind of reflect on like, oh what what would be some of my workplace values? What are just things that I want out of my life that I need to take into account when I apply? for a job in the future, to, to have a career. Now, that was nice, uh, but in, in the end, we, we made like a little, he called it an e-portfolio, so you know, an electronic portfolio that is just a little website about, hey, here's who I am. Here's my resume. Here's a sample cover letter that I would write. And here's a portfolio of a bunch of writing that I've done. And I went the extra mile and talked and put a whole tab like all the video stuff and audio stuff I've created, including uh, the good old Creative Outlet podcast. So that's part of my uh, resume now, uh, as well as just a contact form. I thought that I would just get so much more out of that class than just, oh, here's the same stuff from the career stuff from the career service but now we're gonna apply it to you and we might talk about it in class a little bit have at it i mean i wasn't necessarily expecting that we would basically come out of the class with an internship but i thought we would we would come out of the class having applied to a handful and just assisting each other on the way like i understand having had to do those assignments that we did, and those are great assignments, and I think they would be very helpful toward applying for an internship, but it doesn't really matter if we do all that if we don't actually have time set up just to apply to them, just to do it. And granted, I understand they're it's going to be like, oh, well, you're supposed to do that in your off time. <laughs> well, we got a lot going on as is in our off time as far as just reading and writing and assignments and then just trying to take some time in between all that to just, oh, decompress from what it is we're doing so I was i was just uh disappointed by that in the end but that is how my classes went i cannot believe i've already gone on for 50 minutes but you can see already why i thought it would be valuable to do this in its own separate episode because i was certain i could go on for this long i just didn't think it would be about one topic like that but i think the rest from here on out are going to be a lot shorter, so that'll be helpful here. So why don't we just get into some of these like sort of mini topics proper? So going into a little bit more with 355 here, that's again my com arts class, something that I realized in taking that class is I have a desire to make more like proper film. and I don't necessarily mean like actual you know full length of movies necessarily. I just mean video proper. Because one thing so, you know, I I still enjoy making this podcast. Obviously I've been recording here for fifty minutes, but I kind of lost the joy of editing when I uh, got later, especially this past summer with editing all those gaming birthday extravaganzas, because it's very formulaic and very flat, and of course they're long, so it just takes a long time to edit them. But this semester I worked on three videos, granted, were a lot shorter, and I just had a lot more fun making them and editing them. Again, not that I don't have fun making the show. Uh, In fact, what I'm doing right now is probably the part of the show that I find the most fun is just talking to the microphone and recording it. But the editing isn't nearly as fun because it's so one note. So let let me me go and do a little bit more depth on the pieces that I make for this class. We started with a one-minute PSA or commercial. We could do a music video if we wanted to, but most people did a commercial or a a public service announcement sort of thing. For whatever reason, the professor called it the Move Me, because you're supposed to like, you know, move in 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 some way with the video that you make. But I just I just did a a commercial for uh, one of the organizations that I'm a part of, because it worked out that, hey, they'd been wanting a a, a video for a long time. I was in a class where I had to make an ad as the first thing we did for uh, the first major assignment. That just worked out. It was perfectly it, it, it uh, things just went through and just conveniently like that and so for that we had to take like 20 unique shots we couldn't record any dialogue i could have put in voiceover if i wanted to i didn't think voiceover would have been appropriate for it even though obviously i have the technology and the know-how to do voiceover i, I just didn't think it would be appropriate for this so i took my 20 shots i i, I took my camera up or well the cameras that we got to rent from the arts building up to the organization, I already had this whole video planned out with a little, we learned how to do like audio video scripts, which is something totally foreign to me, I had never done them before, but I, th- I think they're pretty interesting, so if I, if slash when I would go on to do more video sorts of things, that's probably a practice I would bring along with me alongside storyboards and all that other stuff, uh, just to make sure that I know what things are supposed to be generally in sync, uh, but I digress, you know, I, I just, I wrote that up. I printed it out, brought the camera and all the equipment up to our building, planned out the 20 shots, and I tried for, uh, to be very candid with it. You know, I I think it's a lot better to do shots that look natural rather than make shots, especially for something like this, rather than do something that's set up, because I think it will look staged, especially when you're working with a bunch of late teens, early 20-year-olds <laughs> who don't know how to act necessarily. But, you know, I, I was able to get all those shots, and then the following week, week I edited it up, put some music behind it, slapped some graphics on the front and the end, and I just I had a lot of fun doing it because it was like, oh, I get the satisfaction now of going through and timing out shots with the music and, uh, you know, just making sure, like, doing so doing some color correction here, doing, like, just some advanced sort of things that I don't necessarily have the opportunity to do with uh, the COP here, and just just do some different stuff. And then the same sort of thing happened. We did a mini-documentary. Now, that I didn't get to do entirely how I wanted to, because that one, the the only the first project was done individually. The second project, we did pairs, and then the third one, we did a group of three. So for that one, I just basically did all the production, because my partner for the project ended up getting uh, sick during production. So I had to record all the B-roll and record... All of the, well, I, she was present for the interview, Well, we did a Zoom interview just because that's how it worked out for our time frames between myself and the person we interviewed. So I, I got the joy of like actually getting to just do more fun stuff with the camera than just plopping it down and recording myself, uh, which again is fine. I don't mind doing that. I think it's, I think it's still fun, but you know, it's just nice getting to get very intentional setups and clips and just different things like that. That I don't necessarily get to get with this show. And then the final final project was just a narrative sort of video. So we, my group, there's only one piece of footage in the entire thing that was just me. So if I decide to show any other footage in this episode, it will literally just be a clip of just me from that video. Because I would have to get permission from my other group members to show them off and... I I just don't want to bother doing that. Since there is a clip of just me, you might get to see me talking all masked up because coronavirus, COVID-19, sorts of stuff uh, happening still today in the world. But we we just did a little procedural drama sort of thing. I wanted, I, I originally was like, I want to do a courtroom drama sort of thing because I wanted to do some Ace Attorney style stuff, but we just ended up basically doing an interrogation scene out of... We didn't recreate, well, we recreated one, but it's an entirely original plot uh, that we came up with of just, oh no, we think we're going to interrogate this person who we think is stealing goods from houses, bum bum bum, a thief. So, you know, but again, that was fun because it's like, okay, I got to set up the shot, we record the same thing through two or three times, get into the editing room, time things out, again to the music but like actually get to use some fun effects that I don't necessarily get to use in making the 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 a podcast here but all of this is really just to say that I had a lot of fun doing that and I'd like to do some more of that. Now I don't, I don't want to make any crazy promises here like I'm necessarily saying, oh, you know what? I think I think I'll take something that I say I would do as a topic on a podcast and just do like a a video about it. I don't want to make any promises like that, especially because I don't have the time for that sort of thing right now in school. You know, it's a bit of a big thing to commit to, but I would say don't be surprised if in the future either there are some pure short films or if I do decide to do something like that just to get those creative juices flowing a little bit more because I did have a lot of fun doing it and I want to or making, making some video, and I want, I want to try uh, doing some more of that at some point, because it, it, it makes me happy. And uh, I think I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Or at least I, I, I you know, hope I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> uh, that covers what I wanted to say about 355. Going into a little bit more depth on 363. Again, that's politics and literature. This is pretty simple. I have a desire to just read more literature. So in that class, we read six books. I only ended up getting to read five. I'm so sorry to the lecturer, but time got real short here at the end. that we I did not get to sit down and read the last book, and I kind of regret that. I'd love to go back and just pick up a copy and read it. Uh, But we read, well, technically seven. We read Antigone, uh, which I'd already read in school before, and I really enjoyed getting to go back and read that good old Greek tragedy translated up. For me, and this time it also made a lot more sense. Of course, having making this my my second read through the play, uh, but not only did we read that, we also read the first book. We read was *Cat's Cradle* by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, the lecturer for that class was uh, a bit of a is a, a bit of a, a Kurt Vonnegut fan. So uh, <laughs> uh, we read uh, Mo, uh, we read two of his books, *Cat's Cradle*. Honestly, that was probably my favorite book of the semester. It was just a nice, fun read. Uh, with still uh, a serious subject matter in the end, talking about basically a world-ending event, sort of like the what atomic warfare would be like. And then we read that, we followed that up with Slaughterhouse-Five, which I hear a lot of people read in high school. That was not one that I read in high school, but it, I hear it's a popular pick. I didn't like Slaughterhouse-Five nearly as much, even though it's supposed to be a more classic sort of uh, novel. I mean, it was good. It, it was nice. nice Nice. It was neat hearing or, or just reading a a war story effectively that was also kind of sci-fi. But I wouldn't I wouldn't call it my favorite. But you know I read through them both in their entirety, and that's huge because just for comparison's sake, I took a literature class like an actual English class the prior fall in 2020, and I cannot say I read any of those books, which I do kind of regret because I, I they're the books themselves did seem pretty interesting, and I want to go back and read those as well. But, you know, uh, it, was, it was literature and film, so of course I, I watched the movies uh, and read what I needed to as far as writing papers and doing assignments and such. But I didn't actually have a reason to go and read the books in their entirety. But for this class, I did. Not only because I respected the lecture quite a bit, uh, but also because the books themselves were interesting and we had discussions. Like, the whole class period was just discussing the books as a whole group. Like, we, we were just—we were shown questions on the screen— We talked about it. We bounced off each other. And I had a fantastic time doing it, which is why it was my favorite class. Then, uh, so our one non science fiction book we read was If Beale Street Could Talk by James Baldwin, which is a story of uh, 1960s racial justice issues, sort of, I guess. It's about, uh, actually, it was recently turned into a film. So if you're just like, oh, I can't commit to reading a book, I guess you could watch the movie, but I'm sure the book is better. It is about this. 18-year-old girl who is going to marry this young man whom she's about to have a baby with, but the, the, the fiancé, the male fiancé in this relationship, is falsely accused of uh, raping a woman, and so, of course, he gets thrown in jail, and essentially the whole story is just about the family's journey trying to help get him acquitted and all the struggles and the pain that goes along with that especially in a system where you know if you're black you're... the chances of him getting free were not nearly as good as they would have been had he been white <laughs> just plain and simple so that that was a fascinating read i would probably call that my second favorite of the semester i didn't love it so much at the time but after having read the other 3 books i would... it's either that's it's either my second favorite or my third favorite the one you read after that Honestly, was probably my least favorite, and it's so very sad for me to say it because that was 1984 by George Orwell. And I don't know how much I've talked about literature on here and the show, but my favorite book of all time is Animal Farm by George Orwell. So the fact that 1984 wasn't as good, in my opinion, is... Very disappointing. I was I I wouldn't quite say I was devastated because you know that's that's a little bit of an extreme take to <laughs> say on it. But I was just like oh I was really hoping this would be just so good, but it wasn't. People thought the character of Winston was super unlikable. I didn't quite see that. I thought he was a totally fine protagonist. I could understand their critiques, but really the problem that I had with Nineteen Eighty Four is that it didn't feel like a complete plot. So just for comparison here, you know, Animal Farm to me felt felt like it was a total plot. You had your opening, your opening stasis where the animals are just like everything sucks, the a- the farmer is a dictator, I hate him. He's terrible. Also, spoilers, Animal Farm is an allegory for the Russian Revolution from like the early tw- uh, 20th century. So if you didn't know if it sounds familiar because you know the russian revolution that's why then they kick out the farmer then the pigs take over and they start making changes all the way until they they basically turn into humans and then the other animals slowly realize how bad like oh things are going bad again and then you end on oh things are just bad all around in 1984 you don't have that opening stasis it's just immediately things are bad. It's like almost as if you open on the inciting incident because Winston immediately takes this journal home that he's gonna start writing in, which is gonna get him in trouble because he's not supposed to just write things especially down with Big Brother, right? And then we go through the trials and tribulations of him trying to, like, take down Big Brother and meeting this girl Julia who he falls in love with and eventually basically being tortured into loving Big Brother. And... I just, I didn't feel like I really got a proper full story. Like, it just feels like it kind of starts and it never really had anything to really justify the rising action and, like, the climax where uh, Winston and Julia get found out felt very abrupt and then it just kind of ended. I mean, we learned a lot in the ending. Like, I, I will readily admit I that it was kind of a, a like, a... Whoa, whoa, I didn't expect this bit to be so intense here in the end, but it just, it kind of felt like it, 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 just, it didn't hit all the points it needed to. It didn't feel that entirely complete, because I wanted to see a little bit more of what Winston did before he even got the journal. And I wanted to see a little bit more of what is he like now that he loves Big Brother? Like, what is this new... Uh, resolution really supposed to be like for him because it seems like it could have some pretty stark consequences but all we really get is he's been tortured he loves big brother and i guess to be fair they basically it, it is more or less suggested that he gets shot in the back of the head so you know he, he wouldn't have lived from that anyway but it, it was just Kind of disappointing for me. After that, we read *Brave New World*. Now, this is the one. This is the one that I could put second place be- behind uh *Cat's Cradle*, or, or, but I just haven't fully decided. I, I enjoyed that. Essentially, apocalypse-esque novel a lot more. I just, i and if only because, again, it, that felt like a full plot. We saw this is what this new world state is like for people. Here's how they do things. We have this character of Bernard here who wants things to be different. Spoilers, he really is not a very good protagonist. I liked him a lot less than I liked Winston, but that's beside the point. He goes to New Mexico, brings home a quote-unquote savage who just, you know, believes in different things than this world state does. Chaos ensues, and the, 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 the savage goes on to basically live in the world state, but just be entirely independent. That's a terrible summary of the plot. I know there were some spoilers in there. Go read the book. It's a really good book. But I, I just enjoyed it a lot more, because I felt like I saw the entire stakes of the world here, and where 1984 felt like it was going for in the end there, just being like, uh, you know, we're trying to really mess with you sort of thing like we're just we're saying things here that intentionally sound like messed up and terrible and wrong i felt like it didn't entirely earn it whereas brave new world more so earned it because we fully got to see like well maybe maybe i'm just liking it because it's sort of like a different type of um screwing with you so to speak because you know in 1984 the concept is just supposed to be everybody's watched on all the time. In Brave New World, it's everybody's been conditioned to believe certain things. And maybe maybe it's just that I find Brave New World a lot more believable, because I do find it a lot more believable that it's realistic. It seems like, you know, because people sometimes today are like, man, the world's just like 1984, and I disagree. And I, I used to hear uh, other people be like, no, it's a lot more like Brave New World, and I had no idea why they would say that, because I had never read Brave New World, but now I know, having read the novel, like, oh yeah, no, modern day, certainly as far as politics goes, which again, very appropriate for the class that it's in, very much more like Brave New World. I'm very confident in saying that. Uh, But the last book we read, and the one that I didn't get to read so much, was Parable of the Sower, which seemed like it would end up being pretty interesting. It's another sort of like post-apocalypse sort of deal. It actually takes place in, like, <laughs> the next few years in the mid to late 2020s. So, uh you know, Octavia Butler didn't quite get right what would be the end of the world in the 2020s and when it would take place. But, you know, she is right in being worried about climate change and that causing some destruction. It's it's just not going to be right at this very second. Hopefully not, knock on wood. That, I, Point is, I just hope that she's wrong, that it's going to be that soon. So, uh... My, I, I just, I didn't get to read it a ton. I want to read it more. And that gets to my, my reflection on this, which is, man, reading's fun. <laughs> I want to read some more books. Uh, I'm not going to be taking any literature classes this upcoming spring, but if I had the opportunity, I would, I would just like to sit down and actually read a book, read some literature, read some fiction for funsies. So, uh, you know, I bought my, uh, for Christmas, uh, now that I have all these step siblings from my uh, mother and my father remarrying. I bought my step-sibling, uh, I believe it's the Plague Court Murders, originally because she was like, I, would like some, I like reading some books, I'd like some books. Or a book. And I was originally gonna buy her, I was like, oh maybe she would like one of the books that I read in this class. But then she gave me some more specifics on the genres and that didn't, that wouldn't work out. But the Plague Court Murders is supposed to be a murder mystery and... It's a later book in the series, but you know, this, this series of books is one of the, the prime inspirations for good old Phoenix, right? So I was like, okay, you know, I want to, I, I try to be kind of intentional with my gifts here. I want to give something that's like pretty reflective of me, so it, toward this person. So let me give her this book that. You know, w- went toward an inspiration in something that I really value. She happened to get me this uh, nice pop filter that I'm using here on my microphone. Uh, I didn't really talk much about the um, the new technology I have here that I'm uh, upgrading this episode with, but I'll talk about that with a later topic in this uh, episode. It'll be a little, uh, just a little bit more relevant there. It's just not quite relevant yet, but it's it's almost relevant. We're we're getting to that topic. But that—that's just it, you know. If she enjoys that book, if she enjoys the play court mergers, I'll buy myself a copy. I'd love to sit down and read that myself and read some of the other books. So, uh, as far as the last class-related thing that I want to focus on, I want to talk about some things that happened in Poli four seventy. Which the thing that. The, the the two things that I want to talk about with that are just some thoughts on the law and some of the complications in the law and this idea of tr- intrinsic motivation that I mentioned earlier. So as, as far as my just, you know, I don't really have thoughts on the law itself. I mean, that's what I'm going to talk about, I guess, with complications in the law. But really, the first thing I want to open with in talking about it is people suggested something to me. Like, there were a good, like, few people who talked to me about this over the course of the class. And it is that people seem to think that I would make a good lawyer. (laughs) Which I think is kind of funny, considering, you know, one of my favorite sorts of game series involves lawyers. I I, I thought, I, I respect their opinion, and I'm not, you know, I would be open to doing that sort of thing, honestly. I'm just not prepared to, if I would want to go to law school immediately going to law school out of finishing my bachelor's degree because my understanding is it's a lot of reading and uh, I already don't like the extent of reading that I'm doing for what I am doing so I just I want to take some time off from doing just a ton of reading all the time plus apparently one of the things I learned from uh, the TA in that class is that law school's they also tend to like candidates who have a, some experience in careers before they decide to go to law school. It does make you a, a little bit more of a desirable candidate. So if I do decide to go pursue that, uh, I just I want to take some time to get some workplace experience before I do that. But I, just, I thought it was fascinating that people think I would apparently make a good lawyer. So I, I'm just saying, if in the next five to ten years I declare I'm going to law school... You've had your your warning here that that may be happening. But as far as, like, complications in the law itself, of course, I only really have reflections regarding First Amendment case law. And, you know, it, it was just really fascinating getting to open the the can of worms of the difference between things that are moral and ethical and what you'd consider right decisions in that realm and what are the correct legal decisions. Like, I think this is something people generally think about but you know they don't really just deeply really and truly and not really grasp but like grapple with what happens in those sorts of scenarios i look at cases you know of course when we talk about first amendment case law we look at things like oh when the nazis wanted to march in skokie illinois uh which was a predominantly jewish town and the aclu defended their right to do that because uh, that's, like, case law says they can. You know, maybe it's not necessarily the most ethical thing for them to do. I, in fact, I would condemn them for doing that, but they have a legal right to do that. I look at things like, uh, we looked at, oh, we looked at this idea of um, oh my goodness, what is the exact terminology of it? I think it's expressive association where you're essentially expressing an idea by allowing and not allowing certain people into your group. So like if you have a super catholic school or something, they can deny people who apply there if they're like non-ultra catholic through the use of something like an an honor statement or some sort of like ethics code that they have to sign and abide by because they want to expressively associate with people whom share their values. Now again, I don't think that sort of thing is necessarily a good thing to have. It's not something that I think really makes sense. But legally it it it's something that people are allowed to do. What else? Uh well we talked we talked a lot about campaign finance. Say we talked a lot. We spent like a class period and a half on it. Uh, because, you know, Citizens United and Buckley versus Vallejo, you know, it's just, you know, only just some things that I'm super uh, passionately knowledgeable about, or at least I would like to think I am. I could probably stand to study those issues even more. Uh, but that's a great example of something where legally, yeah, the money is considered equal to speech. Ethically and morally, there is no reason, as far as I'm concerned, why it should be. But, you know, it that just is what it is, whether I like it or not. And I will have to deal with that frustration until there's something like a constitutional amendment which overturns Buckley and Citizens United and all that sort of stuff. Because uh, we have a, a lot of corruption issues in the United States because of those court decisions, but I digress. But I just I just thought those sorts of things are fun. And we got to grapple with those in the assignments that we did as well. Uh, We had to write like a five page uh, Supreme Court memo. Now, we never read any memos, but we just essentially had to advise like, you know, pretend we were advising for a judge of a certain ideology and giving them an idea of like, hey, you know, based on these sorts of cases, I think you should rule in this way. So kind of connecting to that first part, I think that was one of the things that got the TA to be like, wow, you're like you know, you're you're pretty. You, you do really good at giving a judgment on both sides of uh, a coin here, and giving a good rationale for why one decision should be made over another. And then our final piece was also a ten-page paper, but in this case, it, it was a a uh, an actual decision. We got to play judge and make a decision regarding a fake First Amendment case, and that was incredibly fun. <laughs> so you know, I I just again. All I'm saying is, if I decide to pursue law in the next few years, you have your warning. (laughs) But let's talk a little bit about intrinsic motivation here. Now, why on earth am I uh, talking about intrinsic motivation in connection with this class? So, in my discussion section here, there were a few incidents that kind of bugged me. Now, I get this, the kids mean well, and I can't act as if I am, you know, not... Self interested ever at any points, but my goodness. There, if there's one thing that I realized really bugs me this semester, and I'm just gonna, it's like when people are just entirely grade motivated, and just in general, it bugs me when people are entirely outcome motivated. Like, I mean, again, self interest, obviously, I care about the outcomes of how things go, I want a good grade. I want to do good work so that I make a good amount of money. You know, I care about all that stuff, but I just cannot stand it when the things that people are worried about are just, you know, am I going to be able to get an A on this assignment? I don't, you know, the TA or the grader or whoever, you know, whoever is grading your paper more so cares about your ability to understand the concepts, and if you can sufficiently show that you understand the concepts, you're gonna be fine. I understand, you know, and again, I I think back to, like, this past spring, when I took Uh, Polisci 270, understanding political numbers, and how much I despised that class and didn't really get much out of it. I don't feel like I deserve the A because I didn't really have much intrinsic motivation, and I didn't get. I don't feel like I fully demonstrated the the knowledge that I was supposed to have with it. But if I was entirely focused on the outcomes, and again, not not like the outcome doesn't matter, I would just be like, okay, cool, I got the A, it's over with, I don't ever have to worry about it again, it's done, and I just it, it. it, it still kind of eats at me that it's just like oh I didn't earn that necessarily because I could have done better and i I just I wish people thought a little bit more that way but it, it it it's just that's just something that bugs me uh that i I just found happening a few times in that class again the kids the the kids who like think like that they mean well I understand where they're coming from I like in the the last, the ju- The judicial decision was originally due at the start of class on the last day of class. One of the, like, the day before that one, in the, the, or at least the prior lecture, the professor just like, does anyone have any questions or comments about the final paper or what it's due? And the only person who raised her hand was like, can we just have it due at 1159? Which I should say, in principle, I agree with. I don't think there's really any reason to have when you're not turning a paper in, like, physically on paper. There's no reason to have it due at the start of class. And he was just like, basically put on the spot to say, yeah, I can do that. So, you know, again, self-interest tells me I'm very happy about that. I It was very helpful to have those few extra hours just to polish up what I had written. But oh, I just wish people focused a little bit more on the process. That's all I'm saying here. But that's all I have to say about classes. From here on out, I just I have more... Not so much social things, but just, like, just non-class things that happened that I want to reflect on. Some of it's going to be social. So I want to talk a little bit about making mid-semester podcasts first. So, of course, I made a couple of those creative outlet bonuses based on just things that were announced over the course of the semester. There was our bigger direct, and then there was the Animal... er, well, and Sora, and uh, the last Animal Crossing New Horizons update direct that happened. And I tell you, I was really proud of just being able to make some of those things. It was just really nice being able to make something, even if it didn't, you know, require just a whole ton of effort, and just put it out. It 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 felt, I, f- I feel accomplished from having done that, and I, I don't know what exactly I'm going to be able to do this spring, because, you know, part of the beauty of The fall here was having the Creative Outlet Gaming birthday extravaganza with those episodes coming out every two weeks to just have something continuous, even if it didn't really do anything that was, like, useful necessarily toward just, oh, let me grow the audience here, because that's going to come down more to simply advertising my own work. But it was just nice to have that level of... I'm putting things out, but I don't have that for the spring because I would only have a month to put together another seven episodes and I'm focused right now on doing this one and doing at least wrapping up year two. So. I'm, I'm just hoping there's going to be some big news over the course of the semester where I can, I can justify making something, even if it is incredibly lightly edited, like I did for this. But if anything, you know, I'm just proud because I actually started a second podcast for uh, the same organization, which I made the PSA for. So I'm part of our, uh, my school's speech and debate organization. Uh, I'm not. Just, I'm not going to link to all this stuff here because they do like to keep things a little under under wraps, they like to keep things a little private. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna respect that. But I have been hosting their podcast as well. Now they're and they just do an audio only show here because that was something that they were that um, the coach is interested in seeing someone do, especially because you know I I have this sort of media background here, and it, th- that is I, I would call it. I would say the editing on that I find just about as enjoyable as doing this. Uh, I get to do a little bit more editing with it, but it's just I have to sit through three hours of uh, basically a conversation that I have with someone else regarding uh, topics that will be relevant to that organization, and it's fun sitting down and having that chat. I really enjoy it. Again, I've realized production for podcasts—that's that's the part I like doing about it. The editing I like. I still enjoy it. I don't, but I just I realize that I don't like it as much as editing other stuff and you know that, that's just fine that just is what it is you know I, c- I can certainly try and find the joy in editing podcasts again just through doing other stuff but I just I, I, I just I've lost l- a little bit of that passion in podcast editing but I'm just I'm proud to say that over the course of the fall I was able to release between both shows well I mean let's think about it if I really want to be literal including the gaming birthday extravaganza episodes I would have had those seven. Because I had 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Those 7 episodes, plus 2 bonuses, plus 4 speech and debate speaking hour episodes. That's not, uh, not. what am I saying, not mine. 13, 13 podcasts that I recorded, well, <laughs> that's not really fair. 7 of them I recorded over the over the summer and edited. But that's 13 that I released, and 6 of which, so just basically half that I released, that I recorded and edited and released over the course of the fall, which is the most that I've ever done in a semester. And if I can keep that sort of pace up this semester, I will be very proud. I don't think I'll get to 13 again, because like I said, I don't have that bank of episodes that I would have had recorded from a prior just uh, three months to release but you know if i can do this one uh, yeah, this episode 18 do episode 19 to wrap up year two just do a couple here and there uh, i'll be pleased and then just keep doing my speaking hour episodes that i those i actually have to do, i have to do them on a routine but they are well they're not too much shorter than this i mean i'm at about an hour and a half that's that tends to be how long i want those episodes to be um but they're, they're just a little bit less editing intensive outside of just, I have to go through all the audio and raise up the audio of my second speaker because I speak so much louder than my uh, compatriots on the show, but, you know, that just, it is what it is. It would be fine if, you know, the because they have a, a, you know, at the school, because I'm using this studio, actually, that they have at the school, it's only able to be used for school projects, which is why I don't use it for this, so I have to use all my own stuff, plus now I can record here. But I digress. Um, the The device we use on it mixes, even though it can have multiple microphones recording to one device, it mixes them into one track. So uh, I can't just like double click on one track here and just totally raise using the luffs to the the loudness units all on the one track and basically make it the same as mine. And uh, it's just a, it's 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 a process. I I have to go through each comb through every single line and make it about as loud the same, which, again, is fine, but it it, it just gets a little tedious. Uh, the last two things I want to talk about here, I'm going to come back to the slightly more philosophical one. I've thought about it a lot recently, um, but I just want to go back to... The, I want to start with this little easier one, kind of going actually back to the media class. I want to watch more TV. <laughs> I want to watch more movies, which I'm sure sounds really weird, because you would think that, you know, someone uh, young probably watches a lot of stuff i barely watch any tv and i barely watch any movies but i just i feel like with you know my burgeoning interest in media production it would behoove me to watch some more tv and some more movies (laughs) and i say this if only because you know in our uh, in the lab sections every week for my my media production class the ta would just ask everyone so guys what did you what'd you watch over the weekend and i would always kind of be the odd one out who is basically watching nothing <laughs> which makes it a little hard to respond to that and I just I feel like I could stand to just open the breadth of things that I watch so I'm, I'm I don't know if I start talking a little bit more on TV and movies in the next few episodes, I do i have been completing that goal. If I just continue talking mostly about the games I play, either that means I haven't been watching a lot of stuff and I'm failing at my goal, or I'm just not watching things that I really want to talk about. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping, if that happens, that it's more the latter than the former. But I suppose we'll find out in the next uh few months here but that's that's just the really brief tangent the last semi-major topic i want to talk about here is i want to do a riff on abigail adams here which now that i think about it is appropriate since i did read uh her correspondence with john adams for poli 360 this semester and i want to tell people that they need to remember the amateurs uh she famously said that i uh, wrote to john to remember the ladies when it comes to setting up a new government in fact that was a Uh, a piece of documentation that I used in my incredibly long, annoying paper, but I digress. What do I mean when I say remember the amateurs? First, I want to point out I'm being very intentional in choosing the word amateur for someone rather than like novice or like newbie or something at doing something. Because oftentimes when people hear the word amateur, they just kind of associate it with that term with like novice like let's just like someone who doesn't really know a lot about doing something but you know you have to remember the prefix in amateur which is i don't remember if it's if it's just ama or if it's a uh if it has to be amat but the comes from latin basically talking about you know that you that you 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 love something right that's why we say or, or like amor that sort of thing. And, you know, somebody is an amateur of something when it's like they have a passion for doing something, but they're not like they're not a professional at it, but they just, they enjoy doing it. And I had a couple of experiences this semester that kind of tie into this idea here that kind of bugged me. So one of the social things that I tried doing this semester was going out to the school's Super Smash Brothers Club, because, you know, I enjoy Smash Brothers. I enjoy playing games, that seems like a great place to meet people who enjoy doing that sort of thing. Except there's one little problem, and I did kind of expect this. A lot of the club are tournament-level players. Which doesn't sound bad on its face, outside of just if you're like me and you're an amateur, meaning you like playing the game, I know a lot about the game, but I just, I could not... I don't really have any passion or desire to do this sort of thing at a professional level, and the same is true of this sort of podcasting thing, like, I mean, I would love to do it at a professional level, but I just, I don't have that entire breadth of knowledge yet, I hope to the more that I do this, um, but I just, I, I'm not an audio engineer, maybe that's what I'm saying, I, I, I'm an amateur audio engineer, but I'm a little bit more professional as far as like the actual podcast, like, the media part of it, I would say. But that's a, a side point here. I, I went into this hoping that I could just meet people and have fun and play games, and I essentially went for, like, the first six or seven weeks, but after that I got busy and didn't really have the motivation to go anymore because, A, I was busy and I had writing and reading and all sorts of just work to do, but also just ended up not being as fun as at the start because a lot of us amateurs were not showing up anymore. <laughs> I would say in most people's cases, probably because simply that they were busy, but also the organization didn't entirely make it fun to go for the amateurs. So let me explain how this goes here, right? We had this large room, and it was more or less split down the middle, where it was like one side of the room was all playing Ultimate, and the other side of the room was almost all playing Melee. And there was maybe one N64 station, and maybe... Actually, no, I don't think there are any Brawl stations, but of course there was like this Project M or Plus or whatever all that stuff is called, the mods that are out there for Brawl uh, being played. So I, I, I did bring my GameCube controller, but I don't play Smash with a GameCube controller. I play it with a Pro Controller. So I brought that along with me to these organizations. And what these people would do is, you know, they would bring in switches, and like I said, set them up on one side of the room, and bring GameCubes and Wiis and set them up on the other side of the room. And so for that side of the room, they would set up, they would genuinely bring in heavy CRT TVs, because that's, of course, what you're going to get the best inputs on. And then for the ultimate side of the room, they would do the same sort of thing, but they would bring in special monitors to play the game on. And I bring this up because I remember there being one day as I got later into this that I just kind of think personifies this sort of thing. And again, kind of like the earlier thing I talked about, this person that I'm going to talk about here, he totally meant well, I understand that he was coming from, but you got to remember the amateurs. So, you know, there was a day where it was like, all of the monitors were taken up. And I'll get a little bit more into why that itself was already a problem, because it should not have had to have been a problem, and so this classroom actually did have a couple of TVs in it, so it's just like, I just want to start a new station on one of these TVs and just play how I want to play. And he's all just like, you know, are you sure you want to do that? And I'm like, yeah, why? He's like, you know, there's all these monitors with open spots here, and they did have open spots, but again, I'm going to describe why that was still kind of problematic for me as far as I was concerned. And I was like, no, I'd really, you know, we have another console here. There's no one using this TV. I'd just like to set up another station and just start playing on here. And he's like, all right. And again, he meant well, but not everyone is a professional player who needs a special monitor. And I guarantee that the input lag on this TV, to the extent there was any, is not so bad that a professional cannot, a professional Smash player or like a tournament level player cannot play on it just fine. It it bugged me. As much as he meant, well, it really bugged me. But again, they wouldn't even have that problem if they just followed that advice of remembering the value of the the more amateur Smash players. Because the way that the, the ultimate side of the room was just set up was... You know, at the start of the semester, when you just had a ton of people showing up because they are free and just wanted something fun to do, is you would have some stations that would do tournament rules, but there would also be some stations that were just, okay, we're gonna get together four to eight players, we're gonna play Smash Brothers, maybe if we're feeling a little saucy, we'll put on the Smash meter and put items on low and just have a grand old time. But as those sorts of people stopped showing up, then it started to be all the stations were tournament rules. So if you didn't want to play just one-on-one, no items and, you know, just go up against someone who's got a way higher skill level than you do, necessarily, then it starts to become not very fun. Or, let's, then let's say, okay, okay, well, we can do four people, but if we do four people, it's gotta be teams of two, and it's gotta have friendly fire on, which, I mean, that is fine, I guess. You know, it's it's standard in a lot of other, like, multiplayer stuff. But, you know, if you're like me, and you just want to get together four people to play Smash Brothers for funsies then um, you're more or less uh, Sol did <laughs> that sort of group simply wasn't there and I think you know you're always gonna have your people who want to try to do things professionally and try to be competitive but the thing that keeps organizations alive are the amateurs I hate to say it but it is um you know w- like Smash Brothers ultimate how many copies of that game are there being sold out there, out in the world. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate Sales. Oh my goodness, I just wrote Slay. I want sales. According to November, it has sold 25.71 million copies worldwide, making it the third best-selling Switch game behind Mario Kart 8 Deluxe and Animal Crossing New Horizons. I guarantee that not even... God, probably... 40% 40% not even are interested in any professional level play. A lot of those people just want to play Smash Brothers for funsies. Now, you know, it's not like they can't turn into professional level players. It's not like those. there will never be people who are interested in that. And I'm also not saying that professionals can't be catered to or be, like, advertised to, but just... Remember some both here, guys. You know, you're not, like, the organization is probably going to keep its longevity because I'm certain there will continue to be students on campus who are just interested in playing Smash at that level, but you're going to be driving away a lot of, like, perfectly good students who might have other skills that are valuable to the group just because you want to run things or just cater a lot more to one group. And I think the same is true, and I've noticed this a bit with some media-type stuff, and that kind of gets into the the new technology I have here. So, not only did I receive this lovely pop filter, which I hope is working out at getting rid of those plosives, uh, but I also, for Christmas, received a blue uh, compass and the shock mount for the Yeti, which is called the Radius. Uh, and I've been doing a little research because I, I- I'm not ready to do this yet, But I would say probably in the next like couple of years, I'm going to want to upgrade to a better microphone, like an actual XLR sort of thing. But like I said, I'm an amateur as far as audio engineering is is concerned, if I could speak. I'm a little more professional when it comes to the the talking part of this. That's what I like doing. But I still want to upgrade some of these pieces of technology because I think it's important to have a a more professional-esque show going on here but I've just been seeing all these things now where people are like, the Blue Yeti's like terrible and it's like tinny and all this stuff, and you know, that may be true. But I've also tended to find this opinion largely among uh, audiophiles, which I believe I also some- is something that I kind of complained about when I talked about the the records earlier this year, where it's just like, people just don't realize the general amateur audience for that sort of thing doesn't really care so much about all the same sorts of stuff that a bunch of files do. All I'm saying in pointing this stuff out here is I've got this nice new technology. It really wasn't like super expensive necessarily, but I'm just, I'm not prepared to fully upgrade to a brand new microphone that is not compatible necessarily with some of this stuff because I I want to get I want to get a little more use out of it before I before I get here or before I get there I should say so that that that's all I really want to say when it comes to remembering the amateurs that was, that was just another thing that happened during the semester that just really got at me that was just like people need to be conscious of this sort of thing so uh, but that, I think, covers everything that I would have wanted to talk about here today in episode number 18. It's been a very productive semester, you know, I was able to get an hour and 45 minutes out of this, which is just makes me glad that I decided to make this into its own full separate episode instead of uh, try to cram all this into half an hour in what would have been episode 18 if I made that wrapping up year two. Uh, but I'm just going to tell you, folks, that is what you have to look forward to in the next couple of weeks here when I get to sit down again, record on uh, episode 19, wrapping up year two. We're going to talk about game of the year. We're going to talk about general reflections on the rest of 2021 for myself, or well, not even just myself, more so probably the world. Uh, at writ large. Maybe I'll just call it my second year of my first global pandemic, I don't know. And I'll have to ideate a couple of other topics to talk about in that. I, I do have one more in mind that I have planned here. Uh, but with that, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna end off this recording here. It was fun getting to try off these uh, these new uh, media <laughs> toys here, so to speak. It took a good like half hour to set them up, but it it was fun getting to to try them out. So, uh, but I will I, I can't guarantee that I will be seen again in the next episode. But you will most certainly hear from me either on an audio platform or just hear my voice through a video, if you so prefer. And of course, if you uh, want to, be sure to do all those sorts of engagement-y sort of things. You could uh, give some sort of like, some sort of uh, subscription, maybe a, uh, uh, a heart, uh, whatever whatever your podcast platform allows. Still, I haven't received that first uh, audio message, so maybe someone wants to take the plunge on that. That'd be pretty, pretty cool here. And with that, I am going to let everyone go. This has been Brandon Puddle of the Creative Outlet Podcast, signing out. Thank you very much for listening in.